In 2007, Google launched uh, the Lunar X competition. This was a competition in which they were offering a $20 million prize to anyone, uh, a team, who could work together to send a privately funded vehicle to the moon. And that vehicle had to be able to travel 500 meters or just over 1,600 feet and send back high-definition video of the moon's surface. And so Google offered this prize, $20 million prize, for any team that could make this happen. And, and when it started, there were around 25 teams competing to try to accomplish this goal. Well, they had originally set a deadline of 2012 and a secondary deadline of 2014. The prize would be reduced a bit if a team had to wait all the way to 2014 to accomplish it. But here's what happened. These teams were working to try to, to get to the moon. 2012 came and it became clear that it wasn't going to happen. 2014 came around and it became clear that that secondary deadline wasn't going to happen. And so Google extended the deadline out. 2015, uh, that didn't happen. By 2016, by 2017, and then they set a, a date, a final date of March 31st of this year. And so this is what happened. In January of this year, the competition ended. Not because you saw the blast off of a great rocket or you saw incredible video footage coming from the surface of the moon, but rather it ended with a tweet from Google saying it's clear none of the teams were going to be able to accomplish the March 31st deadline. And so it ended just like that. It was a failed mission. You had 25 teams working to, to send a vehicle to the moon, but none of them were able to accomplish the mission this concept of mission is a really important concept. If you're a part of, of any business today, there's a lot of effort focused on crafting the perfect mission statement. We want to craft a mission statement that will enable us to maintain focus, that will enable us to be energized around the goal of our company or our organization. Even churches often spend a lot of time working together to formulate a, a mission statement that drives them. But here's the question that I want us to think about today. What is your mission? No, I don't mean your business's mission or the organization that you're a part of or that, that mission, but I mean your own personal mission. What are you seeking to accomplish in life? These are the questions that we'll think about together today as we look in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. You remember the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians uh, to the church at Philippi. He wrote to encourage that church to remain faithful. It was a good church, had some problems just like any church, but, but it was a good church. He wrote to encourage them to remain faithful. Remember that Paul is an apostle, and when the church was first formed, God raised up some men to serve as apostles, and these men were the leaders of the early church. They helped in founding the church, and these apostles had the authority of God. In other words, when they acted according to, to what God told them, they were actually able to speak for God. So they had a great authority. It's an office within the church that faded away as, uh, as the apostles died out. It's not an office that continued in the church. Why? Because as the church was founded, scriptures were, were being written and they were being brought together, and eventually we had the Bible. And because of the Bible, we no longer need apostles who, who are able to provide a direct and authoritative word for God, from God because he's given us that in his scriptures and in his word. But the apostle Paul was an apostle. And in today's passage, we're going to see that he spoke with that authority, with the authority of, a, of an apostle. Let's look 
in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 19. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character. Because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick, he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. This text points to the power of example. And ultimately, it reminds us that we are called to further the gospel mission. This text reminds us that we are called to further the gospel mission. But how? How are we called to further the gospel mission? Well, let's look in verses 19 through 24 as we think about that question. How are we called to further the gospel mission? If you look back in Philippians 1.27, Paul urged the Philippians to live in a manner that was worthy of the gospel. And then in Philippians 1, verses 12 through 14, he sets himself as an example. He says, look, I'm living the life that I'm encouraging you to live. I'm, I'm suffering for Christ and I'm giving my all for the, for the mission. So I'm living what I'm calling you to live. I'm setting you an example. Not only that, in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, Paul said, that Jesus is an example of how the Philippians are supposed to live. Now here in today's passage, Paul offers two more examples of faithful ministers, of faithful servants, the example of Timothy and the example of Epaphroditus. Now in Paul's letters, it's not unusual for Paul to include a section on travel plans. Here you've got in this a passage about when Epaphroditus is going to travel, when Timothy's going to travel. This is not unusual in Paul's letters. He includes travel plans in other places. But what is unusual is the location of the travel plans within the book of Philippians. In most of Paul's letters where travel plans are included, they're included at the conclusion of the letter, near the end of the letter. But here, Paul has these travel plans right in the middle of Philippians. Why? Well, it seems clear the reason is because he wants to reinforce what he has already said. Again, he has told the Philippians, you live this kind of life and I'm setting you an example. You live this kind of life and Jesus is an example for you. You live this kind of life and now he includes travel plans about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Why? Because these two men serve as an example and they reinforce what Paul has already told the Philippians. So in verse 19, Paul says he's hoping to send Timothy to the church at Philippi. He says, I'm not going to send him immediately, but I, but I hope to send him, him soon. I hope that he'll be able to visit you and bring me back good news about how things are going great in Philippi, about 
how as a church you're progressing in the Lord and being faithful to the Lord. Now I want you to see something about Paul. Paul has already gently urged the Philippian church to be obedient. He's already gently encouraged them to be unified and not to, not to be a church that, that walks in disunity. And here, once again, in the midst of these gentle exhortations and admonitions, he expects the best of the church. He gives them encouragement with the kinds of positive words he uses. What does he say? I expect to send Timothy, and I expect him to come back to me and tell me how great you're doing in the Lord. He has an encouraging heart for the people of Philippi. wants to lift them up. In verse 20, Paul says that there's no one else who's like Timothy. How does Paul describe Timothy? Paul says that Timothy is like-minded. That means that he shared the same deep commitment that Paul himself had for the cause of Christ. Timothy loved Jesus, and he was committed to make Jesus known, just like Paul. He was like-minded. And not only that, Paul also says that he had a, a genuine concern for the cause of the Philippians. Their welfare really mattered to him. Their welfare really mattered. In verse 21, Paul notes that all people seek their own interests. Now, does Paul mean literally that every single person always only seeks their own interests? Well, he can't mean that. And the reason we know that he can't mean that is because he gives Timothy as an exception to that rule. He says Timothy is not like that. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, in general, most people look out for themselves. That's the norm. People are driven by their own self-interest. But he says, you know what? That's not true of Timothy. Timothy is committed to Jesus. That's what Paul says very clearly in verse 21. What's he saying? Timothy is a committed disciple. He puts Christ and Christ's purposes ahead of his own. In verse 22, Paul reminds the Philippians of Timothy's character. Now, Timothy had accompanied Paul when he first ministered in the city of Philippi. You can read about that in Acts 16. So the Philippians knew Timothy, and they knew his character. They they knew what kind of man that he was. Paul goes on to say that Timothy had served in gospel ministry like a father and a son with him. So what was Timothy? Timothy was a disciple of Paul. He was a disciple of Paul. Paul, he was, a younger, he was younger in the faith, and Paul has trained him to minister. He's taken him with him when, when he's gone on missionary journeys, and he's trained him to minister. Timothy is Paul's disciple, and now Timothy is committed to leading and discipling others. That, that's what we see here. In verses 23 and 24, we see that Paul hoped to send Timothy, but he told them, I'm not going to send Timothy until I know what's going to happen with me. And you'll remember that when Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison. He was in prison because of his preaching the gospel. And so Paul says, I want to send Timothy, but I'm not going to send Timothy until I find out if I'm going to get out or not. There was a possibility that Paul would face capital punishment. We see in verses 23 and 24 that Paul expected to be released. He, He felt that he would be released, and he says, eventually, I want to go and see you as well. But he wasn't certain that was going to happen. So as we think about verses 19 through 24, how do we further the gospel mission? Well, Timothy is a good example. We make disciples. If you want to further the gospel mission, you make disciples. That's what Timothy is, a faithful disciple of Paul, committed to Christ, committed to making the gospel known. And brothers and sisters, that's who we're called to be. 
We're called to be disciples and we're called to make disciples. Called to be disciples and called to make disciples. One of the stories that has come out of the, the tragedies uh, or the tragedy in Florida is the story of Scott Bagel. Maybe you saw his story. He was a geography teacher there at the high school, also a cross-country coach. And on the terrible day when, when that shooter entered the school, uh, Coach Bagel unlocked his classroom door and he allowed students who were in the hallway to go into his classroom with the goal of getting that door locked back to protect the students that he could from the shooter. And the process of locking the door back, he was shot and he died. No students were, were saved. They, they were protected. And in the midst of, of the news about this happening, people remembering his sacrifice, his mom shared a story that, that I thought was of particular interest. She said that when Coach Bagel was a boy, he had gone to a summer camp. And at the age of seven, he decided that he wanted to be a teacher when he grew up. The reason that he wanted to be a teacher is because when he went to that camp, the adults who worked with him there were, were so kind and, and he enjoyed his experience so much. He, he grew up and said, you know what? Or he said, when I grow up, I want to help kids and love on kids like those camp counselors loved on me. I want to be a teacher when I grow up. And he continued going to that camp year after year and even as an adult going back to be a camp counselor. And this is sort of a picture of discipleship. You're new in the faith and young in the faith and you're learning and you're growing. That's him going to school. That's him uh, being, a, being a camper. But then eventually he came to the place where he began to teach and to help students grow in the context of school and also in the context of that camp. And so with an education, here's a picture of, of disciple making, being a learner and then helping others learn. Well, see, within the church, that's exactly what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be learning and growing in Christ, and then we're supposed to, to come alongside a younger believer and help them mature and grow in Christ and get to know him more and, and follow him and walk with him more. Something else about Coach Beglin is this. His life was characterized by a willingness to give all, all for the sake of, of the students. And that's what you see here in Paul's life. It's what you see here in Timothy's life. This dedication to say, I'm going to pour my life out. I'm going to give my all for, for the call that God has given, the call to make disciples. So what does this look like as we think about it in the context of our own lives? Well, first, we need to ask the question, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? If you know Jesus, if you've come to know him, that's the starting point for becoming a disciple. That's the starting point that, that you come to know Christ. But if you know Christ, I ask you, are you learning more about him? Are you reading the Bible and learning the Bible? Are you making good time in your schedule to be in prayer, to, to pray to God and to, to, to talk with him and share the things that are on your heart with him? Are you making time to be in a Bible study where you can learn and grow with, with other believers? You see, every person who knows Jesus is called to be a learner. That's part of being a disciple, to, to be a learner. Now, some of you have imagined that being a disciple is for the elite, you know, the super Christians, those people that just seem to have the time and the energy to just pour their lives into it. You know, the, the guys who are the elite forces, that, that's who are 
those are the people that are called to be disciples. But me, I'm just a regular Christian. But friends, there's no biblical separation like that. There's just one category. If you're a follower of Christ, you're called to be that kind of disciple. That kind of committed disciple who's learning about Jesus and becoming more like him. The next question that we ought to think about is this. Are you a disciple maker? Not only are you learning, but are you imparting what you've learned into the life of a younger believer? Again, this is what Paul was. This is what Timothy was. Paul was making disciples. He had, he had worked in Timothy's life, and Timothy had become a disciple, and now Timothy was making other disciples. So not only are you meant to be a learner who learns about Jesus, you're meant to help others do the same, learn about him and become more like him. You're called to share the gospel with others and then to, to tell others about Jesus and, and to help young believers begin to grow in Christ and begin to get to know Him more. And ultimately, to help that person who's a new believer grow to the point that they can share the gospel with others and disciple someone else. Do you see how this is supposed to work? Every believer comes to know Jesus, grows in Him, then shares the gospel with someone else, helps that person grow and mature to the point that they can share the gospel with someone else and disciple someone else. And it's supposed to be an exponential growth where Christianity spreads like wildfire because all of us are living out our faith passionately with, with deep commitment. So every believer is meant to be this kind of disciple maker. Jesus made it plain in Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is our call. This is our mission. It's not the job of a few pastors or a few super Christians. It's the job of every believer. Ephesians 4 makes that clear as well. So I want to speak to those of you who are teenagers for a moment. If you're a teenager, can you make disciples? The answer is yes. How? Well, be willing to, to share Jesus with one of your friends. Be willing to, to, to invite friends to church. Be willing to sit down and read the Bible with one of your friends and talk about what it means. Be willing to pray with, with your friends. In this way, a teenager can be a part of God's call to make disciples. This isn't something for just adults. Dads, I want to speak to you for a moment. Do you realize the responsibility that you have before the Lord? The Bible says, as a father, you're the leader of your home. You know what this means? That you're supposed to disciple your wife. You're supposed to help her grow spiritually. You're supposed to disciple your children. You're supposed to help your children grow spiritually. We, we don't farm that out to someone else. If you're a husband, it's your responsibility. If you're a daddy, it's your responsibility. Look in Ephesians 5, and you can see it in other places as well. So dads, are you a disciple maker in your home? Well, we've been called to be. Children, those of you who are, who are kiddos, and uh, not, not teenagers yet, but, but kiddos, can you be a disciple maker? The answer is yes, y you can. How? Well, one of the ways is you can learn more about Jesus. That's one of the keys to being a disciple maker is learning about him. So in Sunday school or Awana or in times when your family gathers for family worship or devotion, learn about him. Learn all you can. And then at school, invite your friends to church. Read a Bible verse with one of your friends and talk to them about how they can know Jesus. Even children who know the Lord are supposed to be making disciples. 
It's not like we graduate, like, well, we get to the point where, as a Christian, we've, you know, we graduate and then we're supposed to make disciples, or, well, we, we go on and we get our bachelor's degree and we've learned all this stuff, or we go on and get some kind of graduate degree and we've learned all this stuff, and then we know once we know Jesus, if we've got enough information to know how to become a Christian, we've got enough information to begin sharing the gospel and helping someone begin to grow, someone who's, who's new and, and younger than us in the faith. So everyone is called to make disciples. How else do we further the gospel mission? Well, let's look in verses 25 through 30. In verse 25, Paul says that he felt it important to send Epaphroditus to the Philippians. Epaphroditus had actually been sent to Paul by the church at Philippi. They had sent Epaphroditus to help Paul while he was in prison. And in Philippians 4.18, we see that they sent him with money. In other words, to help provide for Paul's financial needs. But not only that, he was there to just minister to Paul, to to meet his needs on behalf of the the Philippian church. As you read this letter, it seems clear that the intent of the Philippian church is that Epaphroditus would stay with Paul throughout his imprisonment or at least for an extended period of time. But here, Epaphroditus is coming back early it seems, before he was expected to be back. So in some ways, Paul's explaining that to the church at Philippi. He says, I am sending Epaphroditus back. And he says, Epaphroditus has been my brother. In other words, he and Epaphroditus were brothers in Christ. They shared that, that family, that spiritual connection, that family spiritual connection. They were brothers in Christ. Not only that, Paul says he was my co-worker. He worked right alongside me in the spread of the gospel. Paul also said that Epaphroditus was a fellow soldier, and this speaks to his grit. Epaphroditus was committed. He had allegiance to, to God's call, and he was willing to get in the trenches and to battle alongside Paul as a fellow soldier in advancing the gospel. In verse 25, Paul says, you know what? You sent him to me to, to be a messenger and a minister. to to me, to help me, to care for me. And by Paul's description, it seems quite clear that Epaphroditus had fulfilled his duties with deep devotion. In verse 26, Paul says that Epaphroditus was longing to see the brothers and sisters in Philippi. Now, this is no case of Epaphroditus just kind of getting a little homesick. No, we see as we look at the scriptures that Epaphroditus nearly died. He he came close to death. He he became so sick that he nearly died. And so Paul says with relief that God had mercy and he spared his life and, and he restored his health. Notice that God hadn't only had mercy on Epaphroditus, but Paul says that God had mercy on him. Why? Paul says if Epaphroditus had died, it would have given me sorrow upon sorrow It would have broke my heart. I want you to think about this. This is the Apostle Paul, the guy that that God used to spread the gospel all across the Roman world, this powerful man of God. And he's saying if Epaphroditus would have died, it would have just devastated me. This tells us something, that when we follow Christ, it doesn't mean that we're superhuman. It doesn't mean that we're an iron man who who has Teflon and everything bounces off. No, it tells us we're real. We struggle through the heartaches of life. Paul Paul did too. Paul speaks in this passage of his anxiousness about Epaphroditus' welfare. He speaks in this passage about his 
deep relief that Epaphroditus recovered. It reminds us that we're going to struggle if we, we know him through the, the challenges of life. It's also important to notice something else as we think about Paul and Epaphroditus. And that is this. With all the authority that Paul had, all the authority that God gave him as an apostle, it is clear that Paul was fully reliant upon God for Epaphroditus' healing. He was fully reliant upon God. What I want us to see is this. Paul didn't just speak his healing into being. He didn't just say, okay, Epaphroditus, you're healed and heal him. He, he didn't do that. Well, this reminds us that the guys and the gals on TV who tell us, if you have enough faith, you can just speak healing. You can speak healing. Just speak it. Use the right words. Just say it. I'm healed. God healed me. Believe it, say it, speak it, it'll happen. This tells us that those guys are not telling the truth. If they were, then Paul would have said, you know what, Epaphroditus was sick, but I spoke his healing. He was healed. He's he's the apostle Paul. If anybody could speak healing, surely Paul could. But what do we see? Epaphroditus' fate was not dependent upon Paul. Epaphroditus' fate was dependent upon a God who's sovereign a God who rules over the universe. And so did Paul seek the Lord on behalf of Epaphroditus? We can can be certain of that. But Epaphroditus' well-being was ultimately in the hands of God. Whether he was healed or not healed, it was not in Paul's hands. And it reminds us that we don't control God any more by our words or our thinking than the Apostle Paul. That's just not the truth. Now in verse 28, because of the hardship that Epaphroditus had endured. Paul says, I was anxious to see him come home for for his own comfort so that you could be comforted to see that that he's okay, so that you could be relieved to see that his health has been restored. In verse 29, Paul says to the church at Philippi, when Epaphroditus gets there, you welcome him. In fact, rejoice, have a party, throw a party that he's alive, that he's doing good, that God restored his health and that he's been faithful. Now, there might have been some at the church at Philippi, if Paul hadn't written this, who said, wait a minute, we sent you to go and help Paul. Why are you back already? Why didn't you stick around? Did you you get weak on us? Well, Paul wants to make sure that can't happen. He wants the people to understand Epaphroditus had been faithful. And so he says, you rejoice when he gets there. Hold him and others who serve like that in high honor. And in verse 30, he reminds them once again, He nearly died in service to the gospel. He was devoted to the gospel work that you sent him to do. In fact, he risked his life to serve me on your behalf. So how do we further the gospel mission? Well, we saw first you further the gospel mission by making disciples. But as we look at verses 25 through 30, we further the mission by serving with devotion. By serving with devotion, just as Epaphroditus did. I read the story of a senior in high school named Robbie Fry, an exceptional young man. His dad had been injured years ago by an RPG in Iraq, and he lost a good portion of his right arm. Now, Robbie had been on the school's robotics team from the time that he was in junior high. And he longed for his dad to be able to play Nintendo with him and with his siblings. And because of the loss of, uh, of his arm, he couldn't. And so what Robbie did is he used a 3D printer 
and he made a prosthetic that would enable his dad to play Nintendo with him. He was successful at that. took him a while, but he got it done, and now his dad could, could play video games with them again. But Robbie wasn't content to stop there. You know what this young man did? He worked months to, to, to build another prosthetic using a 3D printer, but this prosthetic enabled him to have complete control of his fingers, and his dad could take a ball. Now, he could go out in the yard and take a ball, and he could throw a ball. And this senior in high school was giving his time and his devotion for his dad's well-being. Man, what a moving story. Friends, that's a picture of devotion. I wonder when it comes to the call of Christ, is your life a picture of devotion? Are you serving the Lord with a deep devotion? Think of all that the Lord Jesus has done for you, how he's forgiven you, how he's wiped your sins clean, how he's made it where you can live without regret, how you can live without shame and guilt and fear. You can live with hope and joy and peace. Think of all that he's done for you. Think of the devotion that he's shown you. And the question is this, friend, are you serving him with devotion? Are you serving him with your whole heart? Will you pour your life into the mission that God has given you? That's the question at hand. So how should we respond as we think about this notion of serving with devotion? Well, first, seek to serve the Lord with the gifts that he's given you. If you know Jesus, seek to serve him with the gifts that he's given you. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says this, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. So are you using the gifts that God has given you in service to the Lord Jesus? Now in 1 Corinthians 12, we see that God intends for each believer to use his or her spiritual gifts in strengthening the church. Every Christian who, who knows the Lord is supposed to be a part of a local church and supposed to invest their gifts for the, for the furtherance of the gospel through the church. Are you doing that? Are, are you serving to strengthen the body of Christ? It's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine God saying to believers, it's okay if you don't. It's just not a big deal. It's not an issue. The New Testament knows nothing of that. You see, Epaphroditus faithfully served the Apostle Paul as a representative of the church at Philippi. That's how he was serving. The question is, how are you serving to further the gospel mission? How are you serving? If you're not, I want you to know you're missing out on one of the greatest blessings of knowing the Lord Jesus and following him. You're missing out on one of the greatest blessings of seeing God work through you in the life of another. So serve with devotion. If you're unsure of of where to serve or how to serve, well, the first step is to become a member of a church. It's clear from the New Testament, every believer is expected to be a part of a local church and to invest their lives in a local church. So that's a a first step. The next step is talk with me or, or another one of the pastors or another mature Christian and say, hey, I'd like to get involved. What are some ways I could do that? And we can help you think through that. The next thing is, once we kind of have some ideas, just give it a try. Give it a try. If you, you, you start serving and you go, you know what? Hey, this seems to work and people seem to be blessed and I enjoy it. That's probably the place that God has gifted you. And if 
you try and it doesn't work, well, let's try something else until you find that, that sweet spot of, of offering the gifts that God has given you in service and devotion to Him. Whatever you do, don't waste another day that the Lord has given you without serving Him with devotion. Don't waste another day. Teenagers, many of you can begin serving in the church right now. You could, you could help with sound or sing in the choir or go on a mission trip or, or when, you, when youth lead Youth Sunday, you, can, you, could, you could help with that. Uh, the youth are always doing service projects, etc. You can get involved in that way. That, that's a way that, that you can serve. Children, you can too. You might help take up the offering or go, go and visit the nursing home when, when groups go to visit the nursing home. You can pray for your, your Sunday school teacher, your WANA teacher, for our church. You see, serving is for every age. By the way, when it comes to the kingdom of God, there's no retirement. Not until the Lord takes you home. The nature of your service may change. Your health may, may bring you to a place that you can't do what you once did. And that's okay, friend. God only calls you what he enables you to do. But make no mistake, until the Lord takes you home, he wants you to be serving. Maybe the way you serve is through prayer. Maybe the way that you serve is by encouraging others, finding ways to call and just encourage someone, pray with them. Write a card if you don't have the health to be involved in other ways. And a way that all of us can share as long as we have breath is by sharing the gospel with others. So every one of us serving with devotion. And this past week, the Reverend Billy Graham died. Graham was born just days before World War I ended. Grew up on a North Carolina farm, a dairy farm. And he died on February 21st at the age of 99 years. As a young man, he felt God's call to preach the gospel and he poured his life into furthering the gospel mission. In fact, Graham preached the gospel to more people and live audiences than anyone in history. It's estimated that he preached to over 215 million people in 185 countries and territories. Graham stood against racism. In fact, he posted bail for Martin Luther King Jr. in Birmingham, Alabama during the civil rights protests. Graham was a pastor to the presidents, having a a relationship with every president, from President Truman all the way to President Obama. For all of these decades, Graham proclaimed the simple gospel that Jesus saves that there's hope in Christ alone. Now, Graham remained faithful. Was he perfect? No, no, none of us are. But he remained faithful. The question for you today is this. Will you? Will you remain faithful? I'm not suggesting you need to be well-known or speak to millions of people or meet with the president. But I am suggesting that where you're at, the place that God has put you, that you need to strive to make disciples there to serve there. Some of you will say, well, I've already wasted too many years. There's no point in starting now. Friend, nothing could be further from the truth. Start today. Start today. Some of you will say, well, I'm too young. I'm going to live life. I'm going to live life. I'm going I'm to, one of these days I'll do that. But not right now. No, today. Friend, God's calling you to make your life mission the furtherance of the gospel. You are called to further the gospel mission. So believer, are you growing in Christ? Are you making disciples? Are you serving with devotion, helping strengthen the church to answer the call? 
If you're at a place where you want to get started, talk with one of us. We'll help you get started. We'll help you get there. Some of you are here today and you don't know Jesus. You don't have a relationship with him. And I want to speak to you especially right now. Maybe you've wondered what your purpose in life is. What's the point of all this? Why am I here? Well, friend, I want you to know that Jesus came on a mission. And the mission that he came on was to save you. And once you're saved, he has a mission for you. So I ask you today, have you ever turned to Jesus in faith? Have you ever turned to him in faith? Have you ever called out to him and said, God, forgive me for my sin. I want to follow you and know you. The Bible says that when you call out to him in faith, he saves you. And he puts you on mission. He gives you eternal life. So have you turned to Christ? If not, why not today? Join me in prayer.